to mind. Uh, oftentimes we think of either a person has confidence or they don't have it. So it's twofold. Either I'm confident of myself and my own abilities, or I find confidence in the abilities of someone else who's going to help me. Amen? Bruce Brown, a former coach, says that in sports it takes, and I do quote, a substantial period of time to develop confidence or trust in a team, and with that, it is the time spent together which helps build confidence. Uh, so he says it, uh, Bruce Brown says it takes time to build that confidence, uh, I would say in yourself, and it takes time to build confidence even uh, amongst those who are your teammates. But confidence in the wrong thing or the wrong person, bottom line, it can yield very disappointing results for us. Uh, when our confidence is placed in the wrong person, oftentimes it can lead us down the wrong road. Uh, when they, especially when they don't know the Lord. And we also made assumptions about them. We assume that they had everything that we needed or everything that we wanted. We assume that to be true. And then later to be disappointed in their actions. How many times has this happened to you in the course of your life? And if we keep on living, one thing that I know for sure that is going to keep on happening over and over again, which is why it is by the grace of God that we go. Amen? In today's message, we will see why we should squarely place our confidence in Jesus. Only in Jesus. But we will also be presented with the actions that this confidence should produce in us. So we will see how we need to place our confidence in Jesus Christ. But also what this confidence produces in us. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Do you have the confidence you need? Do you have the confidence you need? Hebrews 10, verse 19. And it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of of Jesus, And I know that there's more there. Uh, let's just go ahead and read on down verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Uh, so there, uh, at the beginning of this section, uh, again, the writer of Hebrews, he presents his, his salvo. He, he tells us, since this is true, since uh, we can enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the new and living way that he opened through uh, the curtain, uh, through his flesh, that is. Verse 19 tells us, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood 
of Jesus. So how do we enter those holy places? That holy place, we enter it how? By the, by the blood of Jesus. The holy place is the location where God dwells, like that great holies of holies or the most holy place. That holies of holies, it was so sanctified uh, that it was so special that no person could enter into that place except for the high priest. And then only once a year, else he gave up his life for entering at any other time, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7. Why? Because of sinfulness, God sets the standards of holiness. Uh, we don't set those standards because our starting point of conceptual thought is birth in the womb of darkness. So in other words, God says, I am the standard bearer for holiness. It is not us. It is not me. It is not what I think. It is God. And, and, I, and I ask you the question, if God is not your standard bearer, then who is? Is it you? Is it your friend? There needs to be a standard bearer that is pure in righteousness. There needs to be a standard bearer who is holy amongst all other things that claim to be holy. There needs to be a standard bearer that is the king of kings and the lord of lords. So God is the standard bearer. And guess what? Only Jesus Christ will suffice. Jesus Christ will only suffice for God and he can only suffice for us. So only Jesus is sufficient. And if you have a better one, let me know. If you have a better one who is sinless, let me know. If you have a, a one that can trump and that has been risen from the dead, then let me know. But I tell you, there's only been one throughout history and that one is Jesus Christ. So as a matter of fact, let's look at what the scripture says about the work of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews 10 and 10. And it says here, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Can you say amen? It says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body, not our body, but the body of whom? The body of Jesus Christ. And then he says, once for all. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. Hebrews 10, 12 says this. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So there it is again. He says, but when Christ had offered for all time, how many sacrifices for sin? Uh, he says, a single sacrifice for sin. After he did that, he sat down. In other words, there can be no other after him. When you sit down, that demonstrates a finality of things that I am done. Uh, this is what has been done for you. Uh, there can be no other open door to heaven. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Look at that. Hebrews 10, verse 14. It says, For by a single offering he had perfected, has perfected for all time 
those who are being sanctified. So here it is again, uh, by a single offering. And then who is that single offering? It is Jesus Christ. All of this sacrificial work we have just heard about, who is this for? Is it for God? It's really for who? It's really for us. Jesus died for us. So why is this so problematic for some people? I was uh, talking to a guy uh, recently, within the last week as a matter of fact, and uh, he was peddling this book about who the real Jesus was. And there was some kind of mystical something going on that some guy that had been, and I was familiar with the guy and some of the things that he had said about Jesus Christ, and they were really disjoint. It was all over the place. In other words, uh, he was not founded upon truth. So the person that was recommending, uh, recommending the book, I remember asking him the question. I said, you're reading this book about who the real Jesus Christ is, and, and, and I know in that book that is not the real Jesus Christ, but I have one question for you. Have you read the Bible? And you know what his answer to me was? Well, no, not yet. So you mean to tell me that your first resource to go to to find out who Jesus is is to go to a resources that basically disowns who Jesus is. So what does that say about your, really, your willingness to know who Jesus is that you really don't want to know? So some people just don't want to believe that they are as bad as what Scripture says, right? The Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does it not? All of us, you, me, everybody, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it is true. Without Christ, uh, there is no substance to our self-made holiness of an eternal life of acceptance of God after we leave this current plane of existence that you can make up all you want about there is no Jesus there is no this there is no that and why this that and the other but one day God will call you into judgment and ask you why did you not believe in my son you had all the evidence in the world some again will say well if he would just show me one miracle that he's Jesus but you will still not believe because some have seen remember all the people that Jesus showed the miracle to you guys remember that? All the people that Jesus demonstrated his miracles and some still didn't believe if he came back and gave a miracle. So what makes you think you're going to believe? Belief in Christ, it requires faith. Faith is the substance of the things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. So you're not going to see it. The bottom line is that what remains in us, our thoughts, uh, what remains in us, our thoughts outside of Christ that have been strung along with the thread of unrelenting doubt. That somehow we can't reason within ourselves, but God says in his word, come on, let us reason together. Sure, both you and I have heard people we know who pretend. Oh, you're great pretenders. They pretend pretend as if they're not bothered by what scripture says. They pretend as if they have the answers, but in the end, their future is in doubt because their faith is fractured. Their faith is fractured because it is built on the wrong foundation. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, and I'm reading now. It says here, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So the critical question before us is this today. Do you have a good standing before the king of kings? Do you have a righteous standing before God? And you see, we must look at this again and again because we are, or the people we love and care about, are sometimes dismissive of this truth. The truth of needing to have a good standing before God. Now, if you happen to be in a position where your every waking day is lived in opposition to the truth of the Lord, then you lack the certainty of faith. And the reason that you lack the certainty of faith is due to sin. And is due to the one who does not want to see you come into salvation. Yet admittedly so, even people who truly love the Lord sometimes live in doubt. Don't they? Sometimes uh, if you have uh, loved the Lord, you've been praying for years, uh, sometimes there are moments in your life if you were to tell the truth, amen, in which you uh, sometimes doubt certain things. I mean, some, you know, sometimes, and it's rare, praise the Lord, uh, when I'm preparing myself to preach, right before I walk up, I've, I've shared this several times with you before, that sometimes there's, there's a thought that comes across my mind, it comes across really hard, and all of a sudden and unexpectedly, it's not going to make a difference what you're saying. So don't even say it in the first place. But thank God that I can recognize the thumbprint of that. Nothing but the devil. Uh, so one thing that we know is that the devil does not want you to hear this, that he does not want you to grasp hold to the life that is found in God's word, the life that's found in Jesus Christ. But if you are in Christ, you have confidence. Sometimes these things must be told to us again and again because over time we begin to get weak, do we not? Over time, uh, sometimes we just are, are, are weakened to the point that we wonder why, why, why. But I want you to know that if you are in Christ, you should walk in confidence. Hebrews tells us that we have confidence to enter the holy place there, Hebrews 10, 19. The holy place would be anywhere the Lord reside. Remember that? And those places he has sanctified, meaning that he was there. Remember that? But if your standing is in question, then God's word, like his word to the Ninevites, are burning in your heart. So if you question your confidence, then these are the things that burn in your heart. Look at Nahum. Here's a book for you, amen? Let's see how quickly you get to this book. The book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 6. Some of you have been studying uh, uh, you have been studying about the, uh, the, the Ninevites and, and Iraq and Iran and all these other places. But look at the book of Nahum. And this is what happened to the Ninevites. 
after Jonah had uh, prophesied to them. This is the, the next book down the line. Nahum chapter 1 verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. In other words, if you are not in Christ, will you be able to stand before the indignation of, of Christ? And the answer is no, you cannot stand. It says his wrath is poured out like fire. But believers in Christ have no need to fear. Because our access before the Lord is certain because the blood of Jesus uh, covers us and not our own actions. Can you say amen to that? This is one of the most difficult bridges to cross. As we live in a world that, that solely uh, supports the idea of earning what you get. If you want something, you have to earn your way. We tell our children, and rightfully so, uh, that uh, if you want that next game, if you want those gym shoes, then you have to do work around the house first to earn your way. Uh, we go to work uh, so we can do work in order to earn our pay. But then it comes to Jesus Christ, and, and, and God says, only believe in my son and you shall be saved. It's like, where is the work? Is it real? And some don't want to believe because uh, they haven't done any work in order to prove their worth. But this is the way it works in God's economy. In fact, as Hebrews continue to explain to us, we recall that at one time we did not have access to God. You remember that? That Gentiles did not have access to God. Even uh, if an animal was sacrificed for the sin of a believer, according to the Old Testament, to the Jews, that even that believer still did not have direct access to God. Did you know that? That they were bringing an animal to be sacrificed, but the person who brought the, uh, the animal to be sacrificed before God, they still could not access God. It was only the select high priests who had the awesome stewardship. And even then, on a limited basis, even the high priest couldn't go before the holy of holies all willy-nilly. Because he knew that if he was not right, he knew that he could die. But now, as believers and followers of Christ, we think that it's normal. Oh, I need to get to God. Let me pray right now. Oh, uh, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And, and bang, we're there. Amen? We think it's normal not realizing that it is a privilege and a blessing. Verse 20 in Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this, that by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Now the writer of Hebrews, he's parallel. He's saying that that curtain was a figure of the flesh of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice to get us access to God. The new way means that the curtain which once kept people separated from the Lord had been opened through Jesus' sacrifice. And look at this one real quick. It's really important. So you remember that Jesus, uh, we know that Jesus died on the cross. Amen. Now that is a fact. That is an established fact. But look at Matthew chapter 27. This is what happened. And some of you, you know this, but that's okay. Some of you don't know this. But look at this. Matthew 27, verse 50. Matthew 27, verse 50. 
And it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51, and it says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was what? It was torn or split in two. From where? From top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. You see what has happened here is that once that curtain was split from the top to the bottom, normally when we think of something being torn, how do we normally tear it? We normally tear it from the bottom to the top, unless you happen to be Someone, I remember uh, in, in, in elementary school having a pair of pants, I had them for so long that eventually the stitching, it, it, it started to really weaken. And one time I bent over and the stitches in my, in, in, in my pants, it, it, tore, it tore from the top to the bottom. Right? But most cases when we tear things, normally we try to tear it from the bottom to the top. But here we see God. God is the one initiating it. And he tears it from the top going from heaven down to earth to open up a new way for us. Whereas once only the high priest had access to God, but through Jesus Christ, through his blood on the cross, because of his perfect sacrifice, we now have access to the Lord. And again, what some don't realize, that even the Jews, that they were kept separated from God as well. It wasn't just the Gentiles. It was also the average Jew. Remember, uh, the temple of the tabernacle was in their possession, and they were the ones bringing sacrifices to it and offering up prayers to the Lord on his ground. Yet 99%, this is my unofficial, uh, my unofficial official uh, percentage here, uh, of the people could not enter the most holy place or the holies of holies. They were restricted by God's law due to their inherent sinfulness. So the average person, uh, the average grocer or, or blacksmith, or, or Tanner, if that existed, that the average person, they could not enter the holies of holies, even if you were a Jew. Therefore, when the curtain was torn at Jesus' sacrifice, it not only gave access to you and me, it also gave access to the average Jew. They no longer needed a human priest to do their bidding. Uh, so Jesus has now become the great high priest for us over the house of God, according to Hebrews 10.21. So in all of that, we have confidence about who we are, but it is who we are in Christ. Jesus Christ must always be included in this equation uh, if it's going to work in any kind of way. So do you have confidence? And the answer for you is Yes, I have confidence. Do you have confidence in yourself? The answer is no. You don't have confidence in yourself. The answer is uh, we have confidence in Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us. You see, uh, we don't have confidence so that we can walk around, though, to say I have, con oh, I have confidence. No, 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 no. We are supposed to do something with that confidence, though. If you have confidence, what are you going to do with it? There are actions that follow. What are those actions? Here, here they are. Action number one. So if you have the confidence in the Lord, the first thing that you need to do is draw near to God. Draw near to God. Hebrews 10.22. Draw near to God. He says here, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Why must a believer be told to draw near to God after Jesus has already paved the way for us to draw near? Jesus has already made the way possible for us, so why should Scripture again tell us? Because the struggle is not over in our minds. Even though we have been saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we still struggle with some issues, do we not? And, and you know the answer to that. And this is why, again, the Apostle John wrote in, in, in the book of 1 John, he says, if we confess our sins, that he is what? That he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us. So who was he writing this to, right? I always ask that question. Who was the Apostle John writing 1 John to? It was to the... All right, let's try it again. Who was the Apostle John writing the book of 1 John to? He was writing 1 John to the... He was, he was writing to the believers. He was writing to the believers. The believers. 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 Why would John write, if you confess your sins, to the believers? Because we still struggle with issues in life. Amen? It is by the grace of God that we go. Amen? Before that curtain of the temple was ripped and at a time when that curtain kept people separated from God, it was plainly obvious that you could not enter. We couldn't enter because people were not holy. We couldn't enter because our lives were chocked full of sin. Yet even when the Old Testament sacrifice was brought forth, even when the Old Testament priests accepted that offering, then in turn sacrificed before the Lord, the people were still unable to draw near, to draw the closest to God. But under Christ, you realize we can draw very near our Lord. But if you are in Christ, why would you not draw near to God? And the answer is found right here in 1022. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So even though uh, we may live in the reality that Christ died for our sins, uh, the knowledge that our sins have been totally forgiven still remain somewhat of a question to us. Because again, as I said earlier, sometimes we doubt. Can I really be saved? Just like I shared with you guys many times before, I think I've been saved probably about nine, ten times in the course of my lifetime. At least nine or ten times. So if you want to ask me if I'm saved, I'll tell you, man, I'm really saved. I'm super saved. Right? Because I just, you know, I just didn't know. I didn't realize how Jesus Christ had saved me with such finality. I didn't realize that when I sinned, yes, I need to confess my sins before the, the Lord, you know, put that away and then keep on. I didn't realize that. Uh, but the devil wanted to keep me down. The devil wants to keep you down as well. Uh, when you sin, uh, the devil tries to tell you, you are no longer any good. God wants nothing to do with you ever in your life, so you might as well give it all up. But again, his grace, it just makes no sense to us. We say that we can't get something for nothing. That doesn't make sense in how we render life. 
can't get something for nothing. And you know it will cost you somewhere down the line. Yeah, maybe not today, we say, or maybe not tomorrow, but in your mind you say, it's coming one day. It's just a matter of time. But you, brothers and sisters in the faith, can come close to the Lord because your hearts have been cleansed from an evil conscience, and even your very bodies have been spiritually renewed. In other words, we have been made brand new in Christ. Amen? You can say, Lord, I have been made brand new in you, uh, therefore I will live and walk in that confidence. Another problem for us is that we sometimes don't feel or look like we have that confidence. We don't look like we have drawn near to the Lord. And that same mindset drapes our thoughts as our bodies decline. So from appearance, it looks it doesn't look as if anything has really changed except for a decision that we made. But God says, yes, you have been changed. You have been changed. Action number two. Action number two. Having that confidence that you're able to hold tight to your faith. You're able to hold tight to your faith. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23. He says here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So God is faithful to you. When you think of your faith, where does your faith focus on? What does your faith focus on? We've already talked about this, that it should be in Christ, our belief in Jesus Christ. He is paramount. And if it is not in Christ, then how will we live? If we live uh, right for Christ, right, uh, God will ultimately reward us. But what causes us to waver? What causes us to fall short? And I tell you, brothers and sisters, speak life to yourself. No, this is not uh, some uh, mamby-pamby positive talk type of thing, but you're speaking life of God's word into your life. Don't waver because the Lord is faithful in all way long. So hold fast your confession in Jesus Christ. Action three. Encourage one another to love and do good works. Encourage one another to love and do good works. Hebrews 10 verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So believers, we are to encourage one another. Amen? Can you say amen to that? And notice the scripture says that it is not just the work of the pastor or the preacher. And to that I say amen. Because if it all depended upon me, uh, probably uh, three-quarters of y'all would probably never be encouraged, amen? And then once I get around to you, then the other three-quarters say, well, what about me? And then once I get to you, then you'll say, what about me, right? But the scripture says that we are to encourage one another in the faith, that we are the arms, we are the legs, we are the heart of Jesus Christ in the church, not just the one whose voice that you hear all the time, but you are the heart, the hands, the hug, the compassion, the mercy to those in the body of Christ. Amen. We should 
encourage one another in the body of Christ. Because it gets hard out here. It gets hard. And sometimes people feel alone. They feel all by themselves. You know, some stories, you know, some, some stories that I, I hear and I've heard over time, it's sort of like you know, certain people that they end up leaving Christianity and going to another faith. But do you know for some people that they leave Christianity and go to another faith because they found in whatever organization that they went to that those people actually care for them? So they didn't find care in the church, in whatever church they belong to, but they found care in this other organization that disses Jesus Christ. So they figure that must be the truth because if people are really loving each other like that, then that must be the true faith. But they're obviously they're operating on a principle that's found in Scripture. The principles, they work. Uh, you, you, you think about it. You know, sometimes, you know, you often hang out with those people who support you, who love you. Amen? And you uh, try to be at arm's distance for all those folks that don't want anything to do with you. But those that support you and love you, you try to be around them. So we are to encourage one another also to do good things as well. In other words, we need to be careful that we don't only pay attention to the negative in the body of Christ. There's enough negativity in the world without us solely focusing on all the mess. So the challenge for us is understanding there are plenty of ways of putting to practice what God says in his word. Even when we see what seemingly to be negative things, how can we make this into a positive in the body of Christ? We can change a negative story and turn it for good to the glory of God. In fact, this is what the Lord has done. Look at Genesis chapter 50, 50 verse 20. Genesis 50, verse 20. Going all the way back to the first book of the Bible. It says here, you remember the story about Joseph and his brothers? All that bad stuff they found themselves in. It says here, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So in other words, you know, sometimes there's some uh, things that happen in your life that God could even use that for good. Amen? God has this unique capacity to turn sour into sweet. Right? And it's not just about turning water into wine. It's about turning an impossible situation to the possible. Uh, yeah, Jesus at the wedding of Cana uh, is not just so they can drink good wine, right? Good Morgan David, right? Uh, good Seagram 7. It was not just about, uh, it wasn't about that kind of stuff. Whatever you do, I don't drink, by the way. I mentioned those things because that's what I hear you talking about. Amen. Right? Uh, what, it was, what it was about, it was really about Jesus Christ being the God that makes possible those things that were impossible. So you may look at a negative situation, but try to figure out, you know, how can we make good out of this? So Hebrews tell us, how can we encourage one another to do good things? God just doesn't want us to barely make it in life, brothers and sisters. He wants us to live life to the fullest, but live our life to the fullest in Christ. But the final key to this section on encouraging one another to love and doing good works is gathering together. Look at that last section, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, you know, we've been saying it for a long time that, it's, that Jesus is going to soon bring this whole thing to an end. And I tell you that if Jesus is going to soon bring this thing to the end, I want to be in one place. I want to be around you, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And hopefully my family will be there as well. Amen. Hopefully. I don't know about my salvation. Hopefully my wife will be there. Amen. Amen. I know about my salvation. Amen. Do you know about your salvation? Amen. Amen. Hey, I can only, I can only really, really speak for me. I don't know about you. So I, I hope, and you probably said the same, well, I don't know about you, Pastor, right? Right? I, I get that too, right? And I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that barb as well. All right? Uh, so, but the bottom line is, you know, as the day draws near in which Christ will return to this earth, I want to be in one place. I would like to be gathered around the saints. You know, I don't, I, you know as much as I love the testimony that God gives me in, in, in secular society, if he had to come back, I, don't want to, I really I don't want to be around them. I want to be around us singing and praying. Can you imagine if Jesus coming back, if I had a choice between you, the believer, you, Brother Matthew, and an unbeliever who's just going to stand there and tell me, what you doing? I'd rather be around Brother Matthew. I said, Matthew, there's Jesus. He's coming back. She said, oh, man, let's just, let's just worship the Lord together. And I can see Matthew now. Well, Pastor, how are we going to do that? Well, you do. You, uh, uh, hey, either, either you follow suit or, you know, maybe you're going to be here for, for a minute. Right? Right? Uh, but, hey, I'm just, you know, we're just going to start praising the Lord. But I'd rather be around believers. So let us not neglect to meet together. Else how can we encourage one another to love and do good works if we're not around one another? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you as well. Lord God, your word is so strong. Lord God, you love us so much and you've done so much in our midst, Lord that we can hardly believe it. Lord, there has been times in our life where we've been drugged down, we've been kicked, we've been pushed down. And the one thing that we know is that you love us and the church love us as well. Therefore, Father, we'll continue to have that confidence in you. We'll continue to believe you, Lord God and all the things that you're doing in our life, Lord God. So we just continuously give you our heart, our mind, our worship, Lord God. Take us, mold us into the image of your son, Lord. Accept our imperfection, but accept our perfection in Christ. So may your hand be upon uh, these brothers and sisters of this place today. Have your way. Is there anyone in here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Is there anyone in here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? We want to introduce him to you today. Is there one in here today? Say, I want to give my life to Christ. You may, you may just want to repent of your sin. Is there one in here today? Is there one in here today? Is there one in here today? So, Father, again, we love you. We thank you. And we ask you all these things 
in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I know I could have had Elder, uh, Elder Matthew come and close us out, but uh, the Lord put Brother uh, Jay on my heart. He's like, what? What? I said, yeah, you. Yeah, come on. And he, he was looking so I said, I'm going to have to give me some of them dreadlocks too. Amen? I think I, I think I look pretty cool with them on, right? Just got to grow the hair. Amen? You got real hair? Amen. Okay. All right, come on. I think we're still on here. Ephesians 4, 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not, let, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Amen. Church of Chicago, you are dismissed. Have a blessed week. Amen.